Sony. You do some tweets that seem to be conspiracy theories. Some of these conspiracy theories uh, have turned out to be true. The Hunter Biden laptop, Twitter, and others engaged in active suppression of information that was relevant to the public. He tweeted this thing about George Soros. He said he wants to erode the very fabric of civilization, and Soros hates humanity. Yeah, think I think about, that's true. That's my opinion. But why share it? Freedom of speech. I'm allowed to say what I. You want. absolutely are, but I'm trying to understand why you do because you have to know it's got a the partisan divide in the country. It makes you a lightning rod for criticism. There's a scene in the Princess Bride. He confronts the person who killed his father, and he says. Offer me money. Offer me power. I don't care. I'll say what I want to say, and if the consequence of that is losing money, so be Obviously, you know that there's a public perception that, and you're clarifying this now, um, but there's a public perception that that was part of a apology tour, if you will. That was- this had been said online, there was all of the criticism, there was advertisers leaving. We talked to Bob Iger I hope today. they stop. You hope? Uh, don't advertise. You don't want them to advertise? No. What do you mean? If, if somebody's going to try to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money, go f*** yourself. But go f*** yourself. Hello, Canada. Today's date is December 3rd, 2023. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense, Canada's Issues, in about an hour. It is Tony in Saskatchewan, flying solo again this week. Uh, Lewis is still away on vacation. So what you just heard there opening the show was a segment of an interview with Elon Musk. Um, think he's been red-pilled officially? I think so. Free speech, I can say what I want. Advertisers don't want to advertise. They want to bully me. Well, they can go F themselves. I like it. Thank you, Mr. Musk. Uh, it's uh, it's happening in Canada. We've seen this, uh, and as, as we've talked about with uh, recent elections, it's happening. It is not happening here, at least not happening fast enough, but at least it is happening. Okay, so we've got a lot of housekeeping items to talk about, and then we've got a few great topics to talk about on the show today. So I want to put up a... Uh, a little poll result on our Facebook page. And um, I know a lot of you aren't on Facebook, so I'll just explain what it what it says before I post it. I'll post it after, after the show. Now, it's showing every single demographic in this country is more in, in the conservative party camp than in the liberal or NDP camp. And it's, I mean, as I always say, polls are... Not always the best indicator. The best poll is, well, election day. But even in the Gen Z class, the 18 to 24-year-olds, they are firmly in the conservative party camp. And what's really interesting is there are some age dem- demographics, and it goes through with, says, you know, says women and men in general. Then it goes, goes through different age categories. It's actually quite a thorough um polling result. Hopefully it wasn't just 1,000 people in Toronto. And it can't be because there's there's not a lot of liberal support there. So anyway, hopefully it's a broad cross-section of Canadians. It certainly goes through a broad cross-section as far as age groups, gender, etc. So it's encouraging. There are some where the liberals are as low as the NDP. In the millennial and Gen Z, they are actually lower than the NDP in one of the cases. I can't remember which one because I don't have the the graph in front of me right now but it's it's encouraging so i uh you know and that and that poll asked if an election were held today so i so whenever they took this poll which would probably have been earlier this week or last week even it's uh well it does make me smile anyway i will post that up on our facebook page after i record the show this morning so let's get right into those housekeeping items so very encouraging. Um, we talked before about Beverly Santa Maria. Um, some people know her better as Buffy St. Marie. And turns out, well, even her quote-unquote home, uh, the Piapot First Nation in Saskatchewan, interim chief, or, um, yeah, interim chief, uh, Ira Lavalley, 
has actually said, yeah, you know what, maybe um, maybe Buffy needs to take a DNA test and determine if she actually is First Nations or not. Well, if you go to Buffy St. Marie's website, she has actually scrubbed any reference of being a Native Indian, born in, possibly born in Saskatchewan. She's actually scrubbed any kind of reference to her being of Aboriginal descent. So... It worked. It worked. A little uh, little exposure seems to have done the trick. I mean, they often say sunlight is the best disinfectant. And, well, what it's a very, you know, it's a shame. It's it's a disgrace that Buffy St. Marie made a, a career out of pretending to be something that she's not. It's an absolute shame what she did to her own family to perpetrate this lie. So, um, well, alleged lie. So I, um, I don't think she'll do the DNA test because she knows exactly what that DNA test is going to find. And I think it's disgusting, honestly, that she has made a 60 year career out of acting. Well, and you know, not acting in the right way, I guess, unless you call Sesame Street acting, but she, uh, pretended to be something that she was not for over 60 years and uh it's a real shame i mean maybe she'll take that secret to her grave i mean she's in her 80s i don't know how long she's going to be with us and that's not wishing her any ill will but it's uh it's a real shame that she would that this would be how she would uh wind down her career because you know she did officially retire but now she retires in disgrace okay well attention stephen gilbo the Suncor announced it is now pumping oil again in its Terra Nova offshore platform. It's about 350 kilometers off the coast of St. John's, Newfoundland, and it's now back online pumping oil. They had it down since 2019 to upgrade, update, and allow it to produce more efficiently. And away it goes. It's pumping some more oil. Great for the Newfoundland economy and great for the Canadian economy. But, Mr. Gilbo, there's more. The Trans Mountain Pipeline, we have talked a lot about that on this show. And it is now almost complete, as we talked about before. They've now given us a date. They say they will be pumping oil through that expansion pipeline by March. They've finally gotten through all the different environmental hoops that they wanted to get through. They've gone underneath some of the sacred lands and protected bogs, etc., etc. Everything that the eco, uh, <clears throat> I almost said eco-Nazis. Oh, I did say eco-Nazis. Everything the eco-Nazis threw at them, they finally got it done. $40 billion over budget. Um, or I, think, I, guess I, I guess the whole total cost is going to be about $40 billion. All on you and I, the taxpayer. So that will likely never pay for itself, but they did announce that they are going to be uh, raising the tolls for oil going through that pipeline in order to try to make it pay for itself a little more quickly. And you never know. If, I mean, maybe if it goes on for decades, it will eventually pay for itself. Currently, it's, or it, it was making $500 million a year, I believe, which is, I guess, good money for the government. So perhaps with the expansion, that will go up to a billion plus when they increase tolls. So, uh, it will at the very least start making money. And so that if it does start making money, you know this current government will uh, want to get rid of it. So, <clears throat> so yeah, Stephen Gilbo, there's going to be more oil flowing out of Canada. Oil and gas producers are pretty happy right now. Okay, so now let us go to a Facebook message we got from listener Trevor. Now, Trevor, I was actually eagerly anticipating your message when I had talked about Pierre Poiliev last week. Now, Trevor, like probably many of our listeners, is absolutely dyed-in-the-wool fan of Pierre Poiliev. And I like Pierre Poiliev. I'm not even going to deny that. I just want Pierre Poiliev to give us something, give Canadians some kind of a plan. Well, Trevor wrote, and he said... Okay, Tony, you frickin' idiot. Get your 
purple colored glasses off for one minute, cut the Maxime Bernier worship and face the facts. Okay, he didn't say that, but I know there probably are some of you out there who, who at least think that, because yes, I am a fan of Max Bernier. What Trevor did say was, come on, Tony, you've got to give him a chance here. If he comes out and says, yes, I'm going to cut spending and this department, that department in order to balance the budget, and yes, I'm going to cut taxes and I'm going to get rid of this wasteful program that the media will jump all over him and 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 start, you know, calling him out for, you know, being the, a Nazi because he wants to cut social programs and cut spending and push grandma off the cliff and all the cliches that always come out in elections. And fair point, Trevor. I actually get that. And so, and Trevor was suggesting that, you know what, once Poiliev gets in and we need him in because we need to get Trudeau and his incompetent band of idiots out. And again, I agree with that too. So he said, once Pierre is in, he said, then he will, then he will be able to make his plans and announce his plans and, and set the wheels in motion. And I said, okay, fair enough. And I actually get that. I totally get, and I did mention this in the last show. I get that Pierre Poiliev has to walk a bit of a fine line because, yeah, the lamestream media is bought and paid for and they will continue to parrot government talking points. And that's why Pierre should be avoiding the lamestream media and, hey, maybe come on our show, Pierre. But nope, nope, he uh, he won't. He uh, I, I confronted him in person here in Saskatoon while he was still running for the leadership and said, hey, why won't you do our show? And he danced around it and said, oh, it must have been just a, mis a mistake and miscue in communication. And he gave me to his staffer who emailed me once, said, what's your YouTube channel? I said, we don't do YouTube. And that was the last I heard of him. So, um, yeah, you know what, Pierre? You're uh, you're still welcome. Open invitation. Any of you having a line with Pierre Poiliev, he is welcome on this show anytime. I'd be, I'd be thrilled to talk to him. I've actually met him twice, in, uh, twice or three times. I've, I've actually got to meet Pierre Polyev when he's been here. And, yeah, I mean, he's very smooth talking. He's got an answer for every question, which isn't always a good thing, by the way, because sometimes there are things that even politicians don't know. But, I mean, I digress. Anyway, yes, Trevor, I, I actually agree with you that Pierre Polyev does need to be a little guarded in what his plans are, but he's got to give us something. He's got to give us something to help people like me understand that he's not just another suit in the Laurentian elite, that he's not just another cog in that machine, and that he's not just going to continue to steer the ship as it currently navigates. That's just not going to happen, because that's not on for me. Um, you tell me you're going to fix this country, I need to know how. You want to tell me that you're going to balance the budget, I want to know how. And I get it. Him and he was in an interview with Vashi Capellos months ago, and you know she kept saying, where do you cut? Where are you going to cut? Where do you cut? So where do you cut? So what do you cut? Um, so I get it. I know their narrative. They want to frame it that you know, conservative cuts are bad for Canadians, and Justin Trudeau is saying that right now. And we're actually going to get into that a little bit uh, in the show topics. So I get it, Trevor. I actually agree with you. But I just need Pierre Poiliev to give me something. Give me something to help me understand that you actually care and you're actually going to fix this mess. Because right now, as I said, he hasn't given us any numbers on immigration. He hasn't given us... Well, really much of anything other than he actually, he's given us some. I mean, he has said, cut the carbon tax. Andrew Scheer said that in 2019, did not get elected. He has said that he wants to make housing more affordable. And he has said that he's going to tie federal infrastructure money, fund money, yes, to uh, housing stars on a municipal level. So he's, he's teased out that. But, um, hey, one of my very first bosses once said, don't tell me, show me. And that's what I need from you, Pierre. Show me. All right, so I have to fact check myself here. I talked about the um, the lamestream media subsidy last week, and I mentioned the CBC would be a big benefactor because they have a lot of full-time journalists. Whoops, my bad. CBC doesn't actually qualify for that lamestream media buyout. 
But, well, as it just so happens, they, uh, they got a new buyout from Google. So now, before the Google announcement came out, Canadian Taxpayers Federation had actually done the math, and it was through them that I learned that the CBC did not qualify for the lamestream media bailout. And so before the, the Google situation, the taxpayers of Canada, through the lamestream media bailout subsidy, were paying directly $29,000 of every journalist, or a qualifying journalist's salary, directly. You and I were directly paying $29,000 of each qualified journalist who qualifies for the, the subsidy. So now, well, that's going to go up. So we're already paying at 29000 probably, what, one-third, maybe maybe 40% of a journalist's salary. I don't know what journalists make. I know that's not the greatest living as far as compensation goes. So uh, we're paying an awful lot for their salary at any rate. Well, now, and I don't know how much this affects it, but it's going to bump it up by probably uh, another five to ten grand. Google has since made a deal with the federal government, and I'm really afraid of Pascal St. Ange's wording of this, Heritage Minister, because she said, oh, the government was will be, or Google will be negotiating with a collective, yeah, a collective of media, media organizations. And she said, oh, including independent media. Well, independent media don't tend to think of collectives, by the way, because most independent media outlets are not of the, the communist bend. Communists are good at collectives. Remember the Soviet Union collectivizing farms? I, uh, yeah, so her use of that word is probably deliberate, that uh, Google will be negotiating and paying a collective $100 million a year. So now Google will help subsidize the lamestream media largely as well for the privilege of sharing lamestream media news links on Google and YouTube. And, well, that's a, a step backwards. I was hoping that Google would have gone the Facebook route and just held the line. But so now between you and I, the taxpayer, and Google, well, our our bailout to the lamestream media is going to be almost $1 billion a year. Well, that's almost the kind of money that CBC makes. Well, if Pierre does win the next election, let's hope he cuts that BS sharply, cut the lamestream media subsidy, at least from the taxpayer end, and, well, he has talked about defunding the CBC, but he has only talked about the English language. Defund it all, Pierre defund it all. Let media companies change their business model and stand up on their own. It's ridiculous that you and I are paying that kind of money and now Google has decided to buy into it. Okay, we had talked about the great gold heist at uh, Pearson Airport a few months ago. Well, there's the update on that. Air Canada and Brinks Armored Security are now suing each other over this gold heist. Air Canada, of course, is is suing Brinks because I don't really know why what their their claim against Brinks is, but Brinks is saying Air Canada lost the the, the gold, so Air Canada is responsible. Air Canada says, nope, that's on you, Brinks, because a you didn't insure uh, the load, the cargo, you didn't pay the extra freight rate for you know, a higher valued cargo. So, nope, that's on you. Even though it landed at an Air Canada warehouse and within 45 minutes had been loaded up on a fake waybill and scooted on right out of the airport. But I had to say, okay, Brinks, you sent a ton, a literal ton of gold on an Air Canada plane and you didn't want to pay for the extra insurance on that. You didn't want to pay an increased freight rate for security. You didn't want to insure a ton of gold worth, what, $50 million, I would think. I, maybe more. I think it was $43 million, I think was what they had, they had valued it at at the time. 
and you didn't want to insure that. Um, boy, Brinks, that's a pretty dumb move on your part. So uh, this will take years going through the courts, so I don't think you'll be hearing any more updates on this anytime soon, but wow. All right, let's go to the province of Manitoba. Now, Bob Canoe had talked about affordability measures on his campaign to become Premier of Manitoba. Now that he is Premier, Bob uh, Canoe has said the province of Manitoba will be suspending the provincial gasoline tax for six months, starting in January. So, great news, that is now 14 cents a litre that Manitobans will be saving every time they fuel up, starting in January. Good move. However, there's more. He also said that the government will continue with, quote, other affordability measures, such as an, an, another increase to Manitoba's minimum wage and possibly expanding childcare. Okay, what's the minimum wage currently in Manitoba? $15.30 an hour. It's the third highest in Canada behind Ontario and BC. So... I'm not going to begrudge anybody making making a getting a pay raise, but Manitoba is actually one of the more affordable areas of the country to live, and fifteen thirty is probably a pretty good wage. Um, is it quote unquote a livable wage? I don't know. I don't live in Manitoba, but fifteen thirty ain't that bad. And then when he when he talks about affordable or expanding child care, I'm going to guess that means getting government more involved yet again. Now, I know we've got listeners in Manitoba, uh, Trevor being one of them, and also a good friend of mine who happens to be a business owner, so she's probably going to be rolling her eyes at that announcement if, the, if indeed they do decide to increase minimum wage again. And this has just been done over the course of the last couple of years to bump it up quite excessively. We covered it on this show that they were bumping it up a dollar and something a year. So that's um, that's going to be a big pill to swallow for those employers who have workers that are, say, on the cusp of that wage, that will suddenly say, well, if I was making a dollar above minimum wage before, then I want a raise or whatever. So um, this particular friend I'm talking to, her and I have had this discussion, and she said that she pays her staff well above that anyway, but... Still, when uh, when people see that the minimum wage starts creeping closer to where they are, they suddenly inflate their own value as well. So, good luck. Good luck. Let's hope that uh, Mr. Canoe just leaves it at the gasoline tax suspension and doesn't go there on the minimum wage. That's uh, being the third highest in Canada and one of the more affordable areas of the country to live. That's That could be a pretty bitter pill to swallow. Okay, let's get to our show topics today. I know we've, we're already almost half an hour in, but on the show today, Jagmeet sing the sellout. Justin Trudeau draws his line in the sand. Danielle Smith lifts the middle finger and more. All right, well, why don't we start with Danielle Smith? Um, no secret to anybody who listens to this show, yours truly is a Big fan of Danielle Smith. I've probably even said it out loud. I love her. And I do. She is awesome. And, well, why is she so awesome? Because she actually stands up for her province. And she's taking zero crap from the feds on her, on, you know, on her path to doing that, defending her province. And I guess because I grew up in rural Alberta that it's, it's in my DNA to be opposed to to Ottawa. It's in my DNA to be suspicious uh, of the federal government and the Laurentian elites. And, well, those suspicions are often confirmed. And it's often, you know, we're often right to be suspicious when it comes to to Ottawa and to the Laurentian elites because they only care about that one little triangle of the country and they tend to exploit anything east or west of them. So... What are we talking about this time? Okay, so now Stephen Gilbo had announced his edict that all electri electricity grids in the country need to be net zero by 2035. 
Danielle Smith said, nope, that's not on. Um, Alberta's electricity grid is primarily natural gas, and we just can't make that happen before 2050. Note, Stephen Gilbo was a special advisor to the Communist Party of China, where they agreed to a, or set a target for 2060 to have a net zero electricity grid. India, 2070 for a net zero electrical grid. And they keep burning coal to make that happen right now. So Danielle Smith said, well, we can't do 2035. We can do 2050. And we will set in place our plans to do that. Well, uneven Stephen, he, I guess, seems to have ignored the fact that the Supreme Court said a big no to the Impact Assessment Act, which was called the No More Pipelines Bill, which uh, was actually more of a No More Resource Projects Bill. And the Supreme Court, even stacked with six left-wing activists that Trudeau has has installed in the court, even those bunch of leftists said, no, you're actually step overstepping your constitutional reach by making these demands on Alberta. And Danielle Smith said, yep, they are. And yet uneven Stephen just continues to act as if nothing happened and said, nope, you'll, you will make a net zero car, um, power grid by 2035, or you will be in violation of the law and you will go to jail. Well, we all remember, or maybe we don't all remember, when Scott Moe, Premier of Saskatchewan, said, okay, come get me, because Saskatchewan also will not be in compliance with a net zero power grid by 2035, because Stephen Gilbo does not recognize carbon capture and storage, which was part of the negotiations, and Saskatchewan is well ahead of the rest of the country in carbon capture and storage, but that wasn't on the table for Stephen Gilbo. So Danielle Smith said, well, all right then, we are going to invoke the Alberta Sovereignty Act. And this is exactly why we passed the Alberta Sovereignty Act, because the Alberta Sovereignty Act says, hey, when it's something that's in provincial jurisdiction and the federal government wants to start dipping their grubby fingers into what's actually our business, the Alberta Sovereignty Act is there so we can say, F you, Ottawa. We are actually doing this our way under the Constitution. And that's what Danielle Smith said, and that's exactly what she's doing. She said, yep, we are following the Constitution. Uh, energy is a provincial area of jurisdiction, and we're, we're in. Now, Randy Wassano, who is the lone liberal cabinet member from Alberta, he's an Edmonton MP, and he is, I can't even remember what he is minister of. He is minister of something, which has nothing to do with the energy sector at any rate. And he has said that, oh my gosh, he's trying to nationalize Alberta's power grid. And this is a step backwards. So let's fact check that. Mr. Boissonneau, you are making inflammatory statements deliberately because, because you're an idiot, actually. So, uh. Anyway, what Danielle Smith has proposed is that there will set up a crown corporation that will be in the background in case there are the private operators who currently run Alberta's power grid are timid about expanding the power, their power generation capacity because of the proposed federal regulations or ones that just outright don't want to do it because... They're afraid of expanding their current operations and having said operations shut down by future governments. So she has said, well, we will establish a crown corporation that will purchase those assets and then continue generating power, generating power and expand as, as needed to expand Alberta's power grid because the province is growing quickly and it needs more power. Now, she said that will be a last resort because they believe in the private sector. Okay, that's a... Uh, and and I'm I'm good with all of that. I'm I'm good with that because she's saying that she's not going to take over private power companies, but she wants that there just in case. Now, Alberta used to have a government supplied power grid like we have in most provinces, like here in Saskatchewan, for example, it's Sask Power. And uh 
Well, since I mentioned SAS Power, let's just take a little diversion here. Um, you remember that Scott Moe had talked about the Saskatchewan government no longer collecting carbon tax on natural gas for home heating. And he has directed Sask Energy not to collect the carbon tax starting January 1st and created legislation to shield any of them from prosecution for following the government dictate. That has also now been expanded to electricity because many homes in northern Saskatchewan are heated by electricity. So now that the now SAS power will will also not be collecting power or carbon tax on power utilized for home heating. I don't know how they're going to sort that out, but that's up to the uh, up to the people that are above my pay grade in the power system. Okay, sorry for that diversion. I just wanted to make certain I got that that factoid in there before I forget. So now. When Alberta had a, a a government powered grid, they even still was sort of a blended model because there was there was Transalta Utilities, I remember, which was called Cal Calgary Power before that. And right about the time that I moved out of Alberta, uh, just a couple of years before, the government began to privatize the electricity grid, and the rollout was absolutely horrible. I'm not even gonna gonna sugarcoat it. It was a horrible rollout. And the government had to intervene a lot to sort of smooth things out so that private operators could get in and take over the grid. And it did not go well. But, I mean, that said, it, uh, as far as I can tell, it seems to be working fairly efficiently now. So if this Crown Corporation being set up had to take over, I'd be very afraid that it would just uh, start to make a mess of the grid again. But... Danielle Smith is doing what she has to do, and as long as she keeps this Crown Corporation as you know a very last resort to help uh, grow the the grid, fine. And well, anytime that you can invoke a sovereignty act and tell Ottawa to f off, I'm absolutely 100% on board with that. Now, note Danielle Smith is actually in favor of small modular reactors. Um, as was Jason Kenney before her. And small modular reactors is nuclear power. And the, the New Brunswick and Saskatchewan and Ontario are all on board with this, by the way. And Ontario already has plenty of nuclear power. The cleanest uh, electricity generator in the planet, on the planet, I mean, anywhere. Nuclear power is the cleanest. Yes, there's emissions while setting up nuclear power plants, but they are zero emissions once they are set up. And what does northern Saskatchewan have a lifetime supply of underneath its rocks? Uranium, the fuel for nuclear power. So why the hell would Saskatchewan continue to be exporting its uranium around the world, and it does, when it could use some of that uranium right here at home and help power nuclear power in Alberta, Saskatchewan, New Brunswick, Ontario, and some of our uranium already goes to Ontario, by the way. But, yeah, we've got this uranium. Let's use it for nuclear power here. And, well, she's in favor of that. So, I'm on board. All right, now, just a, a little fun fact. Alberta actually does have a fairly large assortment of wind farms, especially in southwestern Alberta, where a lot of wind comes off the Rocky Mountains through the foothills. Alberta's wind turbines, and I believe it was Wednesday of last week, so probably November 22nd, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong on the date. What I'm not wrong about is these wind farms only ran at 0.3% capacity on that day because it just happened not to be a windy day. Let that sink in. 0.3% capacity on wind power on one day. You want to rely on that in the middle of January in northern Alberta when it is minus 45 degrees outside and your heat pump can't keep up because, oh, right, there's no power to power that heat pump, which wouldn't work at minus 45 anyway, and we've had that discussion. So, um, no, that's not on. That is just not on. And Stephen Gilbo has imposed caps, or wants to impose caps, I should say, on production for the oil and gas sector because he wants the emissions down 42% over 2019 emissions. 
Um, screw you, Mr. Gibo. It is the energy sector that actually funds this Canadian economy. It is the largest sector of the Canadian economy. Yes, even bigger than the auto sector, although you'll never hear them uh, actually admit that. And Stephen Gilbo wants to cap methane emissions. Alberta said, okay, because that is more, more polluting, air quotes, than CO2. We've done that. We're three years ahead of schedule, and that's done. So uh, you know what, Steve? Take your, your gas and oil emissions caps and shove it. Shove it right up your you-know-what. And Danielle Smith has effectively said that by invoking the, uh, the Alberta Sovereignty Act and said, okay, and she says, yeah, we know this is not done. We know that Ottawa will have to take Alberta to court, and they will. But now it, the, the ball is actually in, in Ottawa's court because what's going to happen now is she will go ahead and she will continue working at her plan for the 2050 net zero power grid. She will continue to allow oil and gas producers to keep producing and continue to work to reduce emissions their way. And Ottawa will have to take her to court and Ottawa will have to let it go through the court process for two or three years, which may end up in a change of government who may just decide to drop that suit. And yeah, she'll keep working. So fantastic for her. Side note about Alberta, Dow Chemical actually just announced a $11 billion project for plastics manufacturing in Fort Saskatchewan, just north of Edmonton. So great. I'm glad to see that uh, the plastics ban is going so well for you, Mr. Gibbo. Oh, wait, that got run, got turned over too, overturned, I should say, as well. So obviously this isn't over yet. And unfortunately, Danielle Smith is going to have to keep fighting against Stephen Gilbo. And hopefully Scott Moe in Saskatchewan will continue to fight just as strong. So now the only thing that worries me is that Stephen Gilbo is now over at COP28 in Dubai. 70,000 delegates from around the world have flown into Dubai on private jets, on carriers, bringing their limousines from their own respective countries to spend two weeks telling us all how we need to have a smaller carbon footprint. Yeah, let that sink in. Thankfully, both Alberta and Saskatchewan have delegations there to support their interests. And I'll be really curious what exactly Stephen Gilbo has to say while he's there. Because, well, I just worry about Stephen Gilbo anytime he opens his big mouth. But at least the lamestream media, one of the... Uh, an article I read said, well, there are some very tall office towers there. Maybe Stephen Gabo could climb one of those and get some attention like he did with the CN Tower. So I thought, yep, hey, thanks. <laughs> okay, let's talk about Jagmeet Singh for a minute. So Jagmeet Singh, when he made this confidence and supply agreement with the federal government, to, uh, or I should say with the Liberal Party of Canada to help the federal government run because obviously he had a minority and he said, yep, we'll just prop this government up, but you're going to have to have legislation for pharmacare by the end of 2023. Okay, fine. Now, we've talked about the kind of negotiator that, that Jagmeet Singh is before on this show. Jagmeet Singh is the kind of guy who will walk into a room and say to whomever he's negotiating with, okay, I want this, this, and this. And then turn around and walk out before he even hears an answer. And then once he steps out of the room, say, yep, we had this discussion and I, I, feel, I feel good that I've stood up for Canadians. Even though the answer after he walked out of the room was, uh, no. He doesn't hear that part of the, the negotiation. And he clearly didn't hear either because the Liberals said, oh yeah, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get some pharmacare legislation up there for you. With their fingers crossed behind their back, of course. And not that Jagmeet Singh would have noticed because he would have just stomped out and looked for the first camera and said, yep, they're going to, they're, we're going to have pharmacare. Well, now the Liberals said, no, 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 there won't be any, any pharmacare and legislation this year. And Jagmeet Singh stood by his principles and said, okay, that's it. Then no more confidence and supply agreement. <laughs> Psych. Of course, Jagmeet Singh has no principles. Jagmeet Singh has one goal and one goal only, to stay in office to, for his six years so he can get that sweet government MP pension. Based on his four most productive years, 
monetarily, which would be, well, four years in the House of Commons as a party leader. So when Jagmeet Singh gets voted out of office, which will be in the next election, I'm, I'm thinking, he will at least be able to walk away with, well, almost $100,000 of transition allowance. Yes, a half the year of, of their salary, half of the year of the base MP salary to transition back to the private sector, not to mention a very sweet six-figure pension. How does that make you feel when you're busting your ass and realizing that you're paying taxes to a government until well into July before Tax Freedom Day? Anyway, so Jagmeet Singh said, well, no, we will continue to prop up this government because we want to wait for a better pharmacare plan. Well, they didn't have one in the first place, dumbass. That's why there's no legislation now. So, so really, Jagmeet Singh is just sort of showing us yet again who he really is. He's a sellout. He is not in it for average working Canadians. He loves to talk about being there for workers, representing workers. Well, he was recently photoed carrying a Versace tote bag. And yeah, it's a tote bag, Tony. Get over it. A Versace tote bag, depending on which one you get, is anywhere from $200 to $2,000 for a tote bag. Yeah. And, um, hey, you know what? I, uh, I also have tote bags in my truck that I use for grocery shopping. They came from places like Giant Tiger, Dollarama, my local co-op, uh, which we have here in Western Canada. I don't think they have co-ops in the East. And those tote bags cost a buck and a half, three bucks. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, I realize that I probably don't need a Versace tote bag to carry my stuff around, but I suppose if Jagmeet Singh carried a giant tiger tote bag around, he might look like he's actually one of us. And then it might look a little, little awkward if he is carrying that giant tiger tote bag while wearing his tailored suit, while sporting his $2,000 Rolex watch, while getting into his high-end BMW sports car. Oh yes, but he's just a regular working Canadian, all right. Yeah. All right then. You uh, you go, Jagmeet Singh. You continue to support Justin Trudeau, even though 75% of Canadians polled don't support Justin Trudeau and actually want Justin Trudeau to step down. Yes, Jagmeet Singh, continue to be on the wrong side of history. That's... uh. Because you're certainly going to get thrown right underneath the rock of obscurity once your time in Ottawa is done. And I hope, Jagmeet Singh, your time in Ottawa is very, very limited. All right, so I mentioned Justin Trudeau having, uh, well, less than spectacular popular support. 75% of Canadians now polled want Justin Trudeau to step down. It's important to note that there is a portion of that 75% who would actually still vote liberal if there was a different leader. Okay, so we need to to understand that. there. It's not saying 75% of Canadians want anybody but Justin Trudeau. But as you will see on the on the chart, the graph that I will be putting up after the show, there is a significant portion of this country who are just tired of Justin Trudeau and the liberals. So... Maybe, even with a different leader, the Liberals might still not carry enough popular support to win. But, um, a certain listener had actually had written in, and it was Listener Bill. You know, Bill had actually written one time that, you know, I got a nagging feeling that Justin Trudeau could still pull off another election win. Bill, I could not agree with you more. I am very afraid that Justin Trudeau could pull off an election win. In my opinion, he has to call that election soon in order to make that happen. Well, he's already drawing the battle lines for that that upcoming election, and it will be soon. Lewis and I have talked about a, a spring election, um, an election in May, and I think that timeline still works. I mean, it's December right now, and Justin Trudeau has now hired a new communications director, and this new communications director is 
already, well, he's off to a great start. Let's put it that way. What is the first act of business for the new communications director, whose name, by the way, is Max Valiquette. He was a founder, is, I should say, founder of Youthography. It's a Toronto-based market research firm, and it is devoted to, quote, understanding millennials and Generation Z, end quote. And the, the first thing he has done is he has said, yep, I'm going to block access to my ex account, and I actually has sent him a follow request on X because that's what you have to do. You have to request to follow him and then he will grant you permission to follow him. So um, I did not get accepted as a, at least to date, as I'm recording this show, I have not been accepted to follow Max Valaquette and he is actually blocked. Um, well, Warren Kinsella, Jean Chrétien's right-hand man, the Biggest fan of Jean Chrétien, Warren Kinsella. Warren Kinsella, who says Jean Chrétien will be the bar by which all future prime ministers are compared. That Warren Kinsella was blocked by Max Valaquette. Many other media commentators have been blocked by Max Valaquette on X. Okay, so um, how are you going to help improve Trudeau's image when you're blocking anybody who maybe wants to see how you're going to improve Trudeau's image. Now, what I have learned about Max Valaquette is that, well, him and Justin Trudeau actually make a good pair. Max Valaquette, he was very, very big on on vaccines. In fact, he wanted vaccines mandated. He was all in for vaccine mandates. He was all in for lockdowns during the Wuhan outbreak. And he was all in for closing schools. He was, he was all in. I mean, he was, I guess he really could have just been, been, uh, been Trudeau's man because boy, he was right down with the whole totalitarian protocols that many provinces and the federal government imposed. He hated the freedom convoy by the looks of some of the news reports I've read on him. Obviously, I can't read his ex account, <laughs> and I'm sure I won't be able to, so I'm not holding my breath that Max Valaquette will allow me to follow him. Um, <laughs> and I, I'm a nobody. Now, that's uh, that's the funniest thing. I'm a nobody. Yes, in my ex profile, it does say that I am the you know co-host of Canadian Common Sense Podcast. So I think as soon as that he sees that in the follow request, he'll be like, F you, redneck, and uh, I'm okay with that. So uh, what Justin Trudeau is doing by hiring Max Valaquette, and you've heard all his trained seals in, in Parliament and Cabinet talking with the lamestream media in recent weeks, they're drawing the battle lines. That's how I know an election is coming, because they are now starting to hone their talking points, and the battle lines for the election are being drawn. Okay, what talking points are we are we are we talking about? What battle lines are being drawn? Well, you've heard it. You've you you've hear it more and more now. Oh, Pierre Poiliev, he's a far right, MAGA influenced, Republican influenced, and he's taking a page out of the Donald Trump playbook. <laughs> How did that go for that poor fellow in the Okanagan? What page? What what page of the Donald Trump playbook? Show me the page. Hey. See, Trevor, I do have to give Pierre Poilievre some praise when he deserves it. And, uh, yeah, so you hear him, they're, they're already trying to make the link that he is a scary Donald Trump figure, that's Pierre Poilievre, and that the Conservatives are far right. Don't believe me? Well, British Columbia Liberal MP, and his tweet is still up. I can't remember what his name is at this particular point in time. At any rate, he is... Uh, had tweeted out in reaction to a mass shooting in Winnipeg where four people lost their lives. And I believe that the shooter is actually still on the loose. And so this, this liberal MP had said that said, well, and I actually might just as well quote him because he referred to the, you know, how the U S gun policies are creeping across the border. And what about the, you know, this, this, this creep into Canada and the, creep the far right attitude creeping into across the border and the creep who was allowing it pierre poiliev so oh you call pierre poiliev a creep 
Then he then he walked it back the next day. Oh, I shouldn't have called him a creep. Then the next day he doubled down. So now he's back on calling Pierre Polyev a creep, and it's Polyev's far right influence from those MAGA Republicans that caused the mass shooting in Winnipeg. Um, go to hell. Just go to hell, dude. But yes, that is where the battle lines are now being drawn. They are and you heard Justin Trudeau in the talking with the lamestream media just a couple of days ago. <coughs> excuse me. And talking about how liberals are standing up and in, for investing in Canadians while the conservatives talk about cuts. Well, they haven't talked about cuts, and that actually is what bothers me. So, yeah, that one's wrong, but that's just another talking point. Oh, it's conservative cuts. And yes, they talk about that every election. And, well, honestly, I want cuts. I want serious cuts. And the Canadian Taxpayers Federation has just said, hey, if you just go back to the 2019 budget and spend that, that would help us balance the budget. Well, no, I'm a... Uh, and yep, sorry, folks, I'm on Team Bernier with this one, because Maxime Bernier, on this show, when we pressed him, committed, he said, yeah, he would fire everybody and start over again. And that's how you cut government spending. You get rid of the permanent government, get rid of all these bureaucrats who are salaried. Deputy ministers are not members of the governing political party. Deputy ministers are the chief bureaucrat that runs the Department of blank. And it is these people and all of their staff that are entrenched in government that we have to get rid of. Because not one of them, I shouldn't say not one of them, but 99% of them don't have any interest in Canadians. They have interest in not only keeping their job, but expanding their little fiefdoms in government. So they're all about increasing their budgets and they have zero accountability. So Max is right when he puts in his in the PPC platform. We will get rid of the permanent government. And we need to. We need to fire them all. And I have said that on this show many times because I'm tired of the bloated waste that is, well, that is Ottawa. Anyway, that's my little rant anyway. But yes, you've you've heard Justin Trudeau say, yep, you know, conservatives want to cut. And of course, the lamestream media, every time they talk to Pierre Polyev, where are you going to cut? Where do you cut? And, you know, honestly, Pierre should just answer the question. Um, he could even just say CBC because he's already said he wants to defund CBC. We've had that discussion already about the how. But even if he just at least said that to the lamestream media, there. There's one place you're going to cut. And, you know, they could go, the Liberals could go ahead and talk all about the value of CBC all they want. But instead, what the trained SEALs are doing is they're testing their talking points right now. So they're taking the shotgun approach of throwing everything out there that they can and just seeing what hits a target. As you've heard some of the lamestream media before say, throwing spaghetti on the wall and see what sticks. The analogy is the same. What they're doing right now is they're testing out their talking points and seeing what talking points that Canadians are actually going to buy so that they can start to to buy ads and push that way. So, uh, Lewis, you're going to hate when you hear this, but you already know firearms owners are going to be firmly in the crosshairs because the Liberal Party still believes that's going to play well for them in downtown Toronto. But you know what? I don't think it is. I think, and uh, pardon the pun, I think an attack on firearms owners is actually going to backfire on the Liberals if they choose that to be one of their hills to die on in this upcoming election. Because with the increase in shootings in Toronto and the deputy police chief saying, yeah, it's from smuggled in firearms, legal firearms are not the issue here. I think enough people have or have, have opened their eyes and enough people have understood that, yeah, it's... It's not those lawful gun owners who are dutifully signing up for whichever new regulation has been thrown at them. It is actually illegal guns. So, uh, but you're going to hear that they are going to go after firearms owners again as one of their talking points to attack conservatives in this election. And you already heard them say, oh, Pierre Polyev voted against a free trade deal in Ukraine. How could he, how could he do this? How could he not support Ukraine? And of course they, they, found their, some of their Ukrainian diaspora MPs who all said, oh, the, the Ukrainian 
National Caucus, I think is what it is. Regardless, anyway, who all, of course, spoke out and said, oh, Pierre Polyev, bad Pierre Polyev, how could he not support this uh, this free trade bill? Okay, let me defend Pierre Polyev again. They voted against the free trade bill because it includes a carbon tax in said bill. If Pierre Polyev was seen as supporting a bill that demands a carbon tax, what credibility would he have by demanding the cancellation of Canada's carbon tax? So I'm I'm with them on not supporting that bill. Move ahead to, well, only a couple of days later when the Liberal NDP coalition voted against a bill to send more arms and munitions to Ukraine. Instead, they just want to send money. So, uh, yeah, who's talking out of both sides of their mouths now? And unfortunately, the Conservatives, I guess, chose not to make hay over that particular point because they probably know that the that the Ukraine war talking points won't stick anyway because the Conservatives tended to be quite adamant supporters of Ukraine. And again, that's a war we shouldn't be in. And we're not technically in as far as having soldiers on the ground, but we are training Ukrainian soldiers in Latvia. So I guess we are involved that way. But again, another talking point, the Liberals are going to try to see if that can stick so that they can make election ads on that. So it's coming, folks. The election is coming. So they, uh, they've they got these, these talking points set and they will take this month to see what sticks. Canadians, of course, will start thinking about Christmas and the fact that they can't afford as many gifts for their families and the fact that they won't be able to afford, you know, a big Christmas dinner. And they won't be thinking about the political points. Come January, they will bring these talking points out again. They will focus group them. They will find out what sticks and they will start to start building their their campaign attack from there. So I think a May election is probably accurate it might even happen a little bit before that but i'm going to continue to to be on with lewis on that one that may will be the time so sean fraser immigration minister and housing minister had recently said yeah you know what the government should just provide homes for anybody who cannot afford one and for everybody who is homeless how irresponsible is that by the way a we have a housing shortage because of mass immigration as you know, as a big part of it, because we bring in one million Canadians in one year, and we build two hundred thousand homes. Um, this is not not on. It's not not going to cut it. The CMHC themselves says we need to build seven hundred and seventy four thousand homes a year in order to alleviate the affordability crisis and the housing crisis, or maybe affordability in housing. And Sean Fraser said, nope, nope, we should just uh we should just have free homes for homeless people and those who can't afford them. Again, it's another talking point that they're gonna throw out there and say, see, the conservatives won't do that for you, but we'll be happy to blow blow your tax dollars on more idiotic, bloated government programs. And we have said on this show so many times, government is never the answer. Um, If government is the answer to anything, it must be a really stupid question because government, more government is never the answer. More government just means more of your tax dollars being wasted. And that mentality has to stop. Then if we're ever going to get out of this mess that we're in and Hey, Trevor, I hope that Pierre Poiliev is, is the guy that actually wants to get us out of it because he very likely will be our next prime minister. Although, as I say, now we have Max Valaket hired by Justin Trudeau. We have them honing their talking points. And Justin Trudeau is the master divider. Divide and conquer is how he has won for sure the 2021 and 2019 elections. Don't forget that even though the inquiry, public inquiry into Chinese election interference allegedly has begun, not a thing has actually happened yet. So there is still that angle too, where the Chinese Communist Party, remember in 2021, when they actually issued a statement saying that Canadians had better vote, had better reelect a liberal government. And then of course, we found out all the 
the problems that have been associated with that since. Don't discount any of this, Canada. Justin Trudeau could still pull off another election win. Is it likely? I don't think so. I think that once his polling numbers have gotten as low as they as they are now, and the Canadians have the opinion they have of him now, I don't think there's any coming back from this. But we all know that he's a great campaigner, and he's got a lot of tricks up his sleeve. And, well, it's going to be interesting. Let's put it that way. Do I think he can pull it off? No, but he could. All right, I'm going to leave you on that sour note today, Canada. I do want to thank you very much for joining us. And Lewis will be back next week, so uh, you'll have two of us ranting instead of just me. But until next week, thank you so much for talking to us. It is Tony in Saskatchewan, and have a great night.